Praise the Lord. Good morning. I would like to welcome everybody this morning and uh, all of our visitors. Hopefully you uh, have found your way around, made yourself at home. Good to have you this morning. Um, I would like to, before I get started, just thank Jason. Um, You know, I've got so much on my mind when I come up to preach. And um, it's amazingly difficult, I think Jason would agree, to remember all the events and all the dates and uh, to report them accurately. And uh, he has a real gift for communicating and being accurate. And uh, so I appreciate that, Jason. That's not an easy task every week. It's very difficult. And I would just want to remind you, too, that uh, all the events that he talked about are on our website, which is uh, www.wellspringcwc.com. So go to the events tab. Also, the uh, handouts as you come in, you'll see those same events. So if you didn't catch it, don't worry. You can find it in a lot of places. And uh, so if you would this morning, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We'll get in the Word this morning. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And it says... And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and then anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And um, we're here, Lord, to hear from you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to hear from men. We don't want to hear from our own voice in our head, Lord. We want to hear from your word. We want to hear from your spirit. Pure words, Lord. And uh, Lord, we're here to uh, be obedient and do. Not just hear, but to do. And uh, we pray these things upon each heart, including myself in this church, Lord. In uh, your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Um, You know, one thing the Lord taught me about 20 years ago, uh, I went through three weeks of preaching where I couldn't speak a word. Like I was able to speak, but I couldn't come up with a sermon. And it's the most unusual time I've ever had in preaching. And so for three straight weeks, I would pray and pray and pray and pray. And I would get ready to preach and couldn't preach. And over that period of time, God taught me, never go to the platform without a word from me. If you don't hear from me, don't preach. And uh, the Lord taught me a lesson. And so when you hear these messages, understand that... um, I will stay in the presence of the Lord until I've heard a message. And that means that if we're speaking a word, it's your duty as Christians to test what I'm saying. See if it is from the Holy Spirit. And if it's from the Holy Spirit, then we got to do it. You know, we got to be obedient and we've got to say, Lord. And, and so this morning, I want you to really listen to the Holy Spirit and test it. Say, is this from the Holy Spirit? And is what he's saying is the truth? And, and uh, we need to just be called to action. Hallelujah. How many like action? I go crazy without action. I can't stand hearing and not doing. I like the doing part. And uh, being actively doing what the Holy Spirit's called me to do. Hallelujah. So we get here and we're looking at Revelation. 
And these are the seven different representatives of the church. And God is giving them instructions. Uh, and it's right before His judgment is uh, about to fall on the earth. How many know that? These instructions are kind of a preamble to, I'm coming and my reward is with me. I'm going to set up my kingdom. I'm going to give rewards. And I'm going to dispense justice. And the world is going to receive a judgment like there has never been. And uh, we're going to be ushered into a kingdom um, of our Lord. How many know that? And so these seven churches, um, some people over the years have said that the seven churches are successive periods of history, which I can't say that that's wrong. But I think it, I've always believed it was more seven kinds of personalities that you'll see in the church. Because, for instance, the Laodiceans here were a church that didn't really receive persecution. They were a church that was very comfortable, and we'll get into this church. And so one of the purposes and one of the reasons why they were in the state they were is because they weren't being persecuted. And so on this side of the ocean, how many know that in a lot of ways we fit that bill? But you can't say in this era that everybody's the Laodicean church because there are parts of the world right now that are being persecuted in a greater way than history has ever seen. How many know that? The other side of the world, brothers and sisters who love the Lord, if they were to do what we're doing this morning, they would actually have to give their life for it if they were caught. And so these are personalities of what Christians will be like in the last days And Jesus is the one who's um, visiting each of the seven churches. He's given an explanation of what their personality is like. And then he's saying, here's my instructions to either be blessed or to avoid negative behavior. And so the title of my message for this church is called the Apathetic Church. Um and so I want to really be careful. Last week I didn't really clarify, and I felt bad when I listened to the message that I didn't. But when I'm talking about a vision, and we need a vision, the church needs a vision, or the people will perish, and the church doesn't have a vision, uh, you need to understand that I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm not always saying, hey, this is our church, and this is... I'm saying this is what the Spirit is saying to the church as a whole. How many know the church this morning is bigger than just this congregation? There's faithful believers all over the city, all over the state, all over this country, and all over this world. And so the Spirit is speaking, and when I say the apathetic church, it's the definition of the Laodicean church, and it's a condition that you're going to find in our churches. The churches here, the churches around the nation, around the world. Um, It's just a spirit of Laodicea that you're going to see. And that's why Jesus is addressing it. And so what's very fascinating here is Jesus... In fact, let me give you a couple of different translations because obviously the one I read, probably nobody else in this church has the exact translation that I just read. And I read it because I like the way they translated the one verse. In uh, Revelation 3.16, it says, Because you are lukewarm, this is from the Berean literal, it says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, King James interprets it this way, I will spew you out of my mouth. Many versions, like the New King James Version, which I think is what I read, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And so every other place where you see this in the ancient world, it is the word vomit. And so I like the way that that was represented. It's not the nicest word. (laughs) But how many know we need to hear what Jesus is saying? When Jesus says that the behavior of this church um, is making him vomit, that he just can't receive what's going on at this church, how many know we need to really, you know, just perk up and say, man, I got to pay attention. What's going on here? What has got him so upset with this church, right? And so I want you to think about the picture that he's trying to give first. Um, obviously, everybody here has probably been sick at one time or another, right? And so you know that feeling when something foreign has entered into your body and your body begins to reject it. All right, maybe it's food poisoning. How many have ever had food poisoning? 
How many have ever had some kind of parasite or some kind of, um, uh, some kind of, um, what do you call it, uh, like a flu bug or some kind of uh, virus? Or And how many know when it gets in your body and it's something the body shouldn't have, the body rejects it? But here's something you haven't thought of. Maybe. This is the body of Christ that's rejecting something foreign. Jesus is the one drinking this. And he's saying, whatever this church is doing, the body of Christ is rejecting it because it's not what I intended. And so he drinks it and he says, I'm actually sick. Jesus is saying, I'm sick from what I just ingested. And so he's trying to explain something about this city, something about this church. It's making the body of Christ upset. It's making it sick. It's rejecting it. It's saying, I utterly reject what they are doing. And so what they're doing must be terrible, right? It must be awful. It must be something so bad that you just can't imagine. And remember, it's not the world at Laodicea. It's the church he's talking to. And so whatever they're doing, we as Christians in this room have to apply it to ourselves and say, am I exhibiting the behavior that's making him sick here? And so we have to look at the city and without knowing the city, we may not understand what he's talking about here and what's making him sick. Because a lot of times when we hear this preached, and I'm not disagreeing with it or saying it's wrong, but a lot of times you'll hear a pastor thunder from the pulpit and he'll say, you got to be hot or you got to be cold. Jesus prefers that you one or the other. Either totally reject him or totally accept him. Don't be in the middle and don't be lukewarm. How many have ever heard that? And I'm not going to disagree with it. I'm not going to say it's wrong, but that's not how they would have received it at Laodicea. Laodicea would have heard that and they would immediately have accepted it a certain way. And the reason why I say is you have to understand the geography and you have to understand where they were located and their mindset in that day when they heard that. Because to them, it was probably very upsetting. Uh, to us, we don't get the full picture, so I'm going to try to paint it here. I want you to picture in your mind a river valley. And how many know we live in a river valley? You know, we've got all these rivers that transverse. We've got a valley here and we've got all these Mississippi, Ohio, Wabash, and we're considered a river valley. Well, this was a river valley in southwestern Turkey today, but it's called the Lycus Valley. And in the Lycus Valley, there are three cities there. The three cities are Colossae. How many have ever heard of the book of Colossians? The city of Colossae is to the east. Uh, the city of Hierapolis is to the north, and then the city of uh, Laodicea is to the south. So Laodicea is at the lowest point at the bottom of the triangle. If you go to the east and you hit um, Colossae, they're in the mountains. Okay, so the mountains are at a higher elevation, and they've got this wonderful mountain water that comes to the city of uh, Laodicea from Colossae. How many know mountain water is great? You know, if they were around today, you would you would probably hear about the Colossae mountain water. You know, that pure, cool, cold, ice cold, glaciers melting, pure water coming down from the mountains. And how many know it's a great thing to drink that mountain water from Colossae? And uh, so you got to think about this. It's desirable. Everybody in the area wants the mountain water from Colossae. Okay? That's to the east. And it, and it goes straight into Laodicea. And you say, man, what a sweet place to live, Laodicea. Because they got all that cool mountain water coming to the city. It goes through the city. Then it goes to the Meander River. It goes to the Aegean Sea. And uh, through a place called Ephesus and Miletus. And... So the mountain water's coming through and it's a benefit to everybody. Everybody wants it, right? Refreshing. How many would want that close to you? Then to the north is a place called Heropolis. And Heropolis is in the same valley. It's elevated a little higher. And they have what's called the hot springs. 
and all these little pits as you go down, as you go down the mountain toward, um, toward Laodicea, there's all these hot pits of mineral water. How many of you have ever heard of the, the hot pits in Arkansas and some of the different places? Salt Lake City has some of those hot mineral deposit pits. And how many know people came from all around the area to go to Heropolis because they wanted to sit in those hot tubs? It was healing. It healed the body. The water had minerals in it. It was very unique to have that hot water. And so, how many know it's a benefit to be in Laodicea where this hot water comes straight from Heropolis, straight down to Laodicea. Laodicea is a special place, isn't it? Got the mountain water on one side, got the hot springs on the other side, and man, you want to be in Laodicea. But here's the problem. The hot water was great and the cold water was great, but they met together in Laodicea. And so the hot water was worthless and the cold water was worthless, because they mixed together in Laodicea and they had worthless water. So they were actually a very wealthy city, had a major stronghold against the enemy, but they had a weakness that everybody knew about, that no water supply. Their water was worthless because it was a mixture of the two. And so Jesus here is not saying that the hot one is good and the cold one is bad. What he's saying is the cold is good because it quenches the thirst of every thirsty person who wants good water and doesn't want to get sick. They all go to that cold water. It's good. It's positive. Two positives, not a positive and a negative here. And he's saying the one is refreshing and the one heals. He's saying, I wish you were the kind of church that healed people, brought healing to them. You were that kind of stream. Or you were a stream that the thirsty came in because they needed something in life and they needed a drink and you were there to give them a cold drink of refreshment and you were a refreshing church and you were a vibrant church and you met the needs of the people. I wish you were one or the other, but you're neither. In fact, you're such a mixture of everything around you that you are worthless to me. And if you drank the water in Laodicea, you actually vomited. It made you sick. That's why they didn't have a good water supply. They had to go to the one or the other. They had to find a way to go outside the city to get the fresh water or to get the hot water, but they couldn't mix them together. And so Jesus, now you understand why if you know where they're at, you know what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say there's something about this city that is a mixture, and because of that mixture, you're not a benefit to your community. And when I come in and I take in what this church is doing, it makes me vomit. It's foreign to the body of Christ, and I don't understand it. So we got to go even a little deeper. We understand the analogy of the water, but now we've got to understand what was the behavior that he didn't like. And so as you begin to look at um, um, Laodicea, you begin to realize that they were known uh, for certain things. And he mentions it in this statement. They were known, number one, first and foremost, they were very well known for a certain sheep that they breeded. It, the, the, and it was bred in such a way that it was black, a black sheep, and the wool on it was glossy. So it was glossy and black. In fact, you almost don't see it anywhere anymore. So they would make inexpensive shirts that were glossy and black. And you could buy it inexpensively. But then also, the highest level tunic that you could buy, like what would be a suit in these days, were specially exported from that area because it was a shiny black material um, that was of the highest quality. So it was inexpensive. It was also the highest... Uh, level of wool that you could get. So this was a community that was one of the wealthiest communities in the world. And so how many have ever been into a neighborhood locally where you drive in and you know you've just got a little bit of a leak in your oil? You know, you know you're dripping just a little, maybe a drop every hour comes out of there. 
And you say, I can't go to that neighborhood. How many of you have ever been to that neighborhood? You're like, man, if I get one drop on that driveway, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. I might be the only one that's ever had a car that's leaked. You know, maybe. I feel lonely up here. All right. But you got to picture this community as that because we got to make it modern day, right? And so this is a community that had plenty. And uh, because of their wealth, Jesus is kind of trying to diagnose why he's sick. He's trying to figure out why am I sick when I ingest what you have to offer. And so he's diagnosing a sickness here. And we've got to ask ourselves, we, we just got to say to ourselves, I don't want this in my life. I don't want to be something that Jesus vomits or spews or spits. You know, I can't even come up with a good word there to make it sound better. I don't know what's better, spit, spew, or vomit. I don't know. It's kind of hard. I can't pick one. But I don't want to be the behavior that makes him behave that way, right? There's no good way to say it. He doesn't like what they're doing. So they're wealthy. And they say this. He said, this is their heart. Their heart is because we are rich. In fact, it gives the cause of why they are the way they are. In fact, um, I lost my place. <clears throat> He's saying that this church, because, in fact, let me read it here. Because you say, now how many know when he says because, he's saying this is what the cause be, right? That's bad English, but that's what the word because mean. This is the what the cause be, why you are the way you are. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. They weren't wealthy to begin with, but they have become wealthy. And have need of nothing... But you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the church he's talking to. Okay, and the cause of the sickness that made him sick was they have everything they need. They made themselves wealthy. They made themselves have everything that they need. How many know they're resourceful people? This was a town that was known for manufacturing. It was a manufacturing town. They exported all over the Roman world this material. Another thing that they had, get this, they had these special tablets of stone that they could grind up into powder and the powder was uh, mixed with water and it made an eye salve that helped somebody that had trouble with their eyes. So they're especially their medical school of optometry, but their medical school in general was the best in the area. Everybody went to Laodicea in order to be able to see better. So if you went to Laodicea, they could fix your eyes, they could give you a new pair of glasses, you could see clearly. And Jesus was using this to explain their spiritual condition. And so here's the problem. They had a lot of issues with self. In fact, I wrote down, catch up on my notes here. This group had four things. They were satisfied with their self. They were righteous within their self. They were sufficient within their self. And they were thoroughly deceived by themselves. And so you say to yourself, you look around and you say, well, man, Chad, I don't know. Um, I, um, I'm not rich. You know, I don't have wealth. How many think everybody in Laodicea was rich? I don't think they were. In an affluent community, if I went to Newburgh, okay, Newburgh is known for penny millionaires. Did you know that? Don't get offended, Newburgh, if you're watching. That means that they have the big house and don't have enough money to put furniture in it sometimes. And how many know they're affluent communities, but everybody's not wealthy, but yet there's still a spirit over that community. A spirit of, we're, we're fine, you know, we have everything that we need. How many know in America, even in our poor communities, we're richer than most of the world? Even our poor would be a rich person in a lot of nations. And how many know there's a spirit that goes over a community and over a nation and over... And so let me give you a definition of apathy. Apathy is this, 
Dictionary.com. Apathy is the absence or suppression, meaning I'm holding back passion, emotion, excitement, lack of interest or concern for the needs of others. I don't find them moving or exciting. And how many know this was the apathetic church? In fact, the things that made them good in business and made them wealthy was the fact that they compromised with everybody. They made business deals with everybody. They shook hands. They were doing well for themselves. They had plenty. They didn't have any need for anybody to help them. In fact, do you know there was an earthquake in Laodicea in 60 AD? It destroyed a large part of the city. The Roman government came in and said, we will give you funds to help you rebuild it. And Laodicea said, we're okay. We're fine. We'll build it ourselves. We're so rich that we'll just build it ourselves. And sometimes you say, well, man, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. I'm just a Christian living for the Lord. And here's the problem. What if we're spiritually Laodicea? What if we have at home in our possession the best study Bible money can buy? What if we have the best podcast that we listen to every day that gets us in the Word, man? And man, I know the Word so well, and I've got such a good background, and I could tell you theology, and man, if you talk to me for a second, you're going to walk away and say, man, that's the greatest Christian I've ever known. That person really loves the Lord, and we're so proud of that. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that the first thing that Jesus said is, I know your works. comes up and he says, I know your works. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, I know your good intentions. He doesn't say, I know the good, the good intentions. I'm not trying to, don't, I don't want to make anybody stand out here. I'm just trying to say, we as a church need to hear, I need to hear. He's not saying, I know your good intentions. That you love the Lord, you know the Word, you know theology, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. He's saying, I know what you're doing. And you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool Jesus Christ. And He's saying, I see what you're actually doing in this community because commentators, in fact I could read it there, but here's the gist of it. Every commentator says they were so compromising as a church and so agreeable to everything that was going on around them. They made no impact whatsoever on the community. The church is characterized by the fact that they have never been persecuted. There's nothing they ever stood on in the Word of God that would make anybody ever be upset with them. They just got along with everybody. And can I tell you something? Jesus didn't die for us to compromise and just watch the world go to hell. And that was the thing that made Jesus sick here. There's nothing egregious here. In fact, read through it. There's nothing that they did like serious sins. You know, there's nothing terrible. It's just Jesus said, I can't stomach the fact that this church believes that they have everything and they have fooled themselves to think I'm rich, I'm well clothed, I can see clearly. He's saying, I actually can see what you're really doing. You're just a comfortable Christian that's never cared one lick about the world around you. Haven't done anything to get outside of your church and outside of your neat Bible studies and you know, and I'm not knocking those things. Those things are good, but how many know we're spiritually wealthy? We're wealthy. We got the best preachers. We got the best Bibles. We got the best studies. We got the best gospel. We got the best of everything. We're thoroughly rich, yet you just go a few blocks and some of them don't know a thing about God. We're so wealthy and we're so well clothed and we're so rich and we see so clearly. And Jesus saying, you fooled yourself. You're actually blind. You're actually not clothed very well. You actually don't see very clearly. And he's telling them, 
because of that blindness and that sickness and he's warning them be very careful because if you continue down the road of apathy then I'm going to take your candlestick away. I'll pull you out of that community. And how many know that right now this is what we're seeing? We're seeing the reality of this. The churches are shutting down all over the place and this one will be nothing special either. If we don't lose the apathy, if we don't get serious about reaching people with the gospel, if we continue to say we're rich and we've got it all and we don't have anything that we have a worry about and we don't have the heart of Christ, which is to reach people with the gospel, how many know that He will take our candlestick? He'll take, He was going through the churches and saying, I won't tolerate this. I won't accept this. I won't allow this to happen. And so he begins to thank the Lord that he gives us a hard word. How many are okay with a hard word? Everybody's okay with that good because I'm still going to preach it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm glad you are. But I've got no choice. I have to preach it, right? And so he gives a cure here. And so you begin to look, well, what is the cure? Okay, the first thing you notice is, just look at the scripture. I counsel you to buy gold from me refined in the fire. Do you see what an insult this is to Laodicea? They're rich. And he's saying that I have a certain gold that you can only get from me, and it's been refined in the fire. That means if you truly serve me, and you live according to my commands, what is that going to do to your business relationships? (laughs) Have you ever tried to truly live for Christ? In fact, I quoted a few weeks ago, I said, if you live for Christ on Sundays only, nobody will care. But if you live for Christ seven days a week, suddenly the world cares. And can I tell you something, church? I... I'm pouring vision into this church. Trying to wake up the church out of its slumber. Trying to wake the church out of its apathy. And you say, well, you just keep on doing it. And I'm apathetic toward it. And I'm not saying everybody is. But can I tell you, when I was a young man, church that I grew up in, the pastor had founded the church and pastored it for 40 years. He was known around the country and around very well known as a revival preacher and everybody knew the revival preaching and how awesome of a minister he was. And and the Indiana District uh, um, superintendent told me more ministers came out of that church than any church they've ever had in the state of Indiana in Evansville. And I remember when he passed away, church, they brought a young pastor in from Alabama, and he had a vision, he had a hunger, he had a desire for God, but consistently, you know what everybody in that church said? We won't follow him. We won't listen to him. We won't do anything that he says. In fact, one elder took a swing at him, ran him out of town and said, there'll be never another one like we had. When that pastor, before he died, would prophesy, God is going to bring a revival to Evansville. God is going to bring revival. You'll be a byword among the nations. There'll there'll be a revival that the whole world will know about. He would prophesy that. I can remember still at 50 years old, I can remember him saying that as a kid. And here comes this new pastor. And you say, well, what's the big deal? They ran him out of town. Nobody accepted the vision. There was apathy. Do you know that pastor left my church went to Pensacola, Florida and led arguably, probably is, as far as salvations, the biggest revival the country has ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. And I personally have never been in a revival atmosphere like that. But the pastor of that church was the pastor that I had as a kid here in Evansville. Do you know that God gives us Moments in time. And he says, sometimes he's just trying to find out, are you in or are you not in? 
Are you in or are you not? I'm all in. You know, I don't care about money. I don't care about influence. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care about what people say about me. All I care about is doing what God has called us to be. God is not going to spew me out of his mouth. God is not going to say, you make me sick, you make me vomit. You don't care anything about the people around you. But church, how many know as a church, we've got to be united in what we're doing together. We've got to take a vision statement. And I'm a little bit down about it. Because I can't get people to even read it. And you say, well, I'm doing my own thing. Church, I am going to tomorrow night have as many as we possibly need. If you already have one, bring it. But we are going to fulfill a vision that Jesus Christ has called us to in this generation. And we're going to put all our time, all our energy, everything that we have to give to the Lord. I'm not saying you can't do other things. I'm not saying you can't have a good life and enjoy your life. But church, our generation has to care about the people around us. Our vision, last week was a vision test. Okay, we have to test whether our vision is going to do the things God's called us to do. And that vision test, that sermon was specifically, does your vision reach the needs of this church? Does it reach the needs of the community? And in order for us to reach the needs of the community, how many of you know I have to connect to resources? I have to connect to drug addiction resources. I have to connect to homeless resources. I have to connect to counseling resources. How many of you know I'm not Laodicea? I can't say that I have everything that I need and we need no need of help and no, we're good, everything's fine. No, if our vision is going to be enough, I am constantly going to be connecting to resources to where any individual reading this, reaching this community, together we can help them. We've got a team that can help any human being that wants to hear the gospel and wants to change. We want to be able to help. But how many know that's not enough? I have to connect to the city. How many know we have to have a vision that we have to connect to in Henderson and Evansville or we can't reach the vision that Christ has for us? I have to connect with the state of Indiana. We have a team in the state of Indiana that we have to be connected to. I can't say we've got it all. I'm okay. I don't need any help. Church, we've done that too long. We've had too many lone rangers. We gotta to pull together as a church, we gotta to pull together as a city, we gotta to pull together as a state. And how many of you know we need a national group of people that we're plugged into? Because we're to the point right now that if the church doesn't wake up, doesn't wake up, God is going to fulfill this prophecy in Revelation that I will remove that candlestick. I'll remove that light that I put there to shine in this community. Why? Because you're covering it. You're hiding it. We're not doing what God's called us to do. Church, we've got to come together. We've got to grab a hold of that vision. And we've got to read every page of it. We've got to know exactly what God's calling us to do the church. And if you say to yourself, Chad, I've read it and I don't like it. Find another one that you like. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to have spiritual apathy. You're going to go day after day and you're going to say, my bills are paid. You know, i got a nice car. You know, i got plenty of food. And the world around us is just dying. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I put my church there for. I put my church there to reach people. To And can I tell you, when we're doing what God's called us to do, there's not a funner life. There's not a better life than laying down every day and knowing that, hey, I'm doing the work of the Lord. And we're plugged in together and we're doing it together and we're not doing this alone. And so church, I would encourage you. Um, I'm going to actually, on our meetings on Monday night, I'm going to back up. I'm going to go backwards instead of forward because I didn't spend enough time explaining details of every step of the vision. And so I'm going to overdo it. I'm going to make sure everybody has read it. I'm going to expect everybody to read it. I'm going to expect everybody to know it. And then out of that vision, we're going to take notes and we're going to say, man, this is something we really need. And 
here's how many people we need, and here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it. And, and how many know God loves that? God loves that when the church, I'm the only one that knows that. Me and, me and you, Sean, we're the only one that knows that. Right? Church, we can do it together. We can accomplish it together. We can be focused together. We can fulfill the vision together. We can wake up every day caring about our community and caring about our neighbors and caring about our family. Um, it wasn't just the community that Laodicea didn't care about. How I many know oh, there were even people in their church that was lost? People in their church that they had apathy towards. And um, church, I know I'm two weeks in a row I'm talking about this. But we can do great things. We've just got to focus in and, and, uh, boy, the Holy Spirit just really, ugh, man, the Holy Spirit's just saying, man, look at, look at what I'm telling this church in Laodicea. And it's not, like I said, it's not just this church. It's, how many see this over the whole church in the United States? It's this apathy and the way that you overcome it is we don't have it. Another church shakes themselves out of it. Another church shakes them out of it. And I see that happening. I see people and churches starting to awake. And how many know the problem with Laodicea? They had no persecution. And can I tell you this? I mean, I want to hear this. But the greater the persecution gets in our country, the more the church will probably awaken. So don't be so upset. <laughs> say, oh, no, we're the minority. We're the, oh, man, we're so, they just treat us so bad. And they, how many know that's a blessing? That's a blessing when they look at you like you're a foreigner because you live a different kind of life and you don't believe the same things that the world believes and you stand on the principles of the Word of God. That's a beautiful thing. That's what shakes you out of that. You know, they're doing you a favor, you know, that shakes you out of the slumber. It wakes you up. And uh, how many feel like the church is sleepwalking a little bit? <laughs> Hallelujah. So church, if you're an intercessor, we need intercession. You know, if you, you're going to find an area in that vision, you're going to say, man, there's two things you're going to find. I need to really stress this. I say it all the time. You're going to find the thing that you wake up in the morning and you know God's called you to do. Like, man, that is me. You know, you'll look on there and you'll, Cyril, you'll look on there and say, man, God's called me to evangelize. I don't know how many times I've heard, don't take evangelizing away from me. I love to evangelize. Some, we were talking the other day, you said, man, intercession. I love praying for people, praying over people. And I've got so many of their intercession. And you're going to see, man, that's where God's called me. I wake up in the morning, that's what I dream about. But how many know there's another thing? And that's what has to be done. There's what has to be done. And there's what you love to do. And there are some times that we just have to do what has to be done. And over time, God's going to let you operate in what you're called to do. But we've got to do both of those. How many understand that? We can't just do what I like to do. We've also got to say, Pastor, what has to be done? What do we need to be done Eddie, you know about that. Every morning you've got a long list of every day of the week. You know, I hate to even say the schedule that he has during the week of things that maybe you probably didn't wake up and say, man, I'm called to do this. <laughs> and we find ourselves doing a lot of things we don't necessarily feel called to do, but we have to do. And if everybody will do those two things, you know, what needs to be done for the church to do God's will in this community. And what do I love to do? And, and man, I love to wake up in the morning and I can't wait to do it. But also love to wake up in the morning and say, what do you need me to do, Lord? And church, if we'll do that, if we'll work together, we can do great things and we can be one that Jesus looks at and says, man, that's a church. You know, that's a church. You were both refreshing and healing and people come to this church and they find healing waters. They come to this church and they find refreshing. Hallelujah. That's what we want to be. Stand to your feet this morning. Did I go long or short? Oh wow, I did good. Hallelujah. That's a miracle. Six minutes over. All right, worship team.
Amen. I love you guys. Hallelujah. I love you guys. And I want to see us do everything God's called us to do and and um, be a blessing to our church and be a blessing to our community. Hallelujah. Is that what everybody wants? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Yes, Hallelujah. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, only your Spirit can wake us up. Only your Spirit, Lord, can um, take away apathy and uh, fill it full of a fire. Lord, a fire that's unquenchable. Fire that doesn't have to be worked up. It doesn't have to be made up. You don't have to act like you have it, Lord God. It just burns. It burns hot, Lord God. It burns to the day we die. Father, it burns for years and years and years, Lord. Let it not be quenched, Lord. Let it be uh, stirred up. Oh, Father, when you return, we want to be as on fire as we were in the beginning, Lord. Do mighty work in your church, Lord. In your name I pray. Hallelujah. Church, let's just worship for a few minutes and let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Hallelujah. don't close when the worship music stops maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord we're here to pray for you now if everybody leaves during the week you know maybe you don't feel like you're in the right place with the Lord that's what we're here for you're going through something you need prayer maybe sickness maybe financially whatever it is how many know that's why we're here we're a family we're here to take our needs to the Lord and Learn how to pray. Learn how to bring things to the Lord. Learn how to rest in the Lord. Learn how to receive peace from the Lord. How many have ever done that? Rest and peace and put it at the Lord's feet and let God take care of you. And uh, we're here to teach you how to do that. We're here for you. We want to pray with you. Um, sometimes I, you know, Lord, just, Lord, put it in my heart again. What if a revival like Pensacola had happened in this city? Can you imagine a revival like that sweeping this city? I mean, I oh man, it just excites me, thrills me to think. One of the things we're we're trying to do to make it really simple. Listen, listen to Proverbs twenty four thirty. God gave me this scripture this morning. It says, "I walked." through the fields and the vineyards of a lazy in fact this word's defined lazy, stupid or slothful person it says his fields were full of thorn bushes and overgrown with weeds how many have ever had a garden that looks like that <laughs> you can admit it it's okay we're in church how I many it was beautiful when you started and then it was thorns and thistles and weeds and and you just didn't want anybody to see it. You just kind of hit it. Say, no, no, don't go in that backyard. That's what happened here. It said the stone wall that was around them had fallen down. He said, I looked at this and thought about it and learned a lesson from it. Go ahead and take your nap. Go ahead and sleep. Fold your hands and rest. But while you sleep, poverty will attack you like an armed robber. I mean, no, spiritually that can happen. Jesus, Luke 12 says, A man in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the property our father has left us and give me half. Jesus answered and said, Friend, who gave you the right to judge or divide, gave me the right to judge or divide property between you and your brother? He went on to say, Watch out, guard yourself for every kind of greed 
from every kind of greed because your life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a rich man who had land and had crops. He began to think to himself, I don't have a place to keep all of my crops. What shall I do? This is what I will do, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store the grain and all my goods. Then I will say to myself, you lucky man. You have all the good things you need for many years. Take your life easy, drink and be merry and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night you have given up your life and you have kept all these things for yourself. And Jesus said, this is how it is for those who pile up riches for themselves but not not rich in God's sight. I mean, no, we've got work to do for God. We want to build riches unto God. And uh, here's what we're doing. We're trying to clear that path. You see the field that had the weeds and the thorns and thistles and he never did anything to keep it. We're trying to make a path for people to connect with God in the church. How many understand that? We're trying to keep it clear. We're trying to keep it open so we can help people connect with God. We're trying to make a path cleared out and say, let's equip and let's train and let's make opportunities to share the gospel. That's another path. We're trying to clear a path where a person has given their life to Christ and now they can learn about Christ. We want to clear that path out clear where they can walk down that path. We want a path where they can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, operate in the gifts, operate in, you know, manifest the fruit in their life. We want to clear that path so they know how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, be full of the Holy Spirit, reach their world through the Holy Spirit. And finally, we want to make a path where people can serve God. They have a place where they can pour their life into and serve God. And how many know those paths can grow up and nobody can reach any of those paths. And so we've got to be very, very deliberate about opening those paths up and being what God's called us to be. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We uh, ask you to help us pour your spirit upon your people, move your people, Lord, to do mighty things for you, Lord. Bless this church. Keep your hand upon it. Protect it. Protect your people, Lord, as they go. Go in the power of your spirit, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Our meeting tomorrow night is at 6:30. Anybody can be here. Hallelujah.